2: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you'll get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Keep
3: the baggies, Pour tenter sa chance face à Steer. Stir intervient. Face à Urihen maintenant. O'Rehan, c'est dedans Vas-y. Et encore une fois, Steer qui détourne Jedinak face à Johnstone, contre-pied, nickel Steer dans une forme étincelante dans cette séance de tir au but, cette fois il n'y peut rien Jack Grealish, Sam Johnstone, qui va gagner le duel entre les deux, c'est Grealish Avec le pied gauche, en force peut-être, non il l'a placé Et la main un penalty et qu'il la manquait cette saison. Adoma au-dessus Au-dessus pour Albert Adoma. James Morrison ne peut pas rater et il ne rate pas trois partout. Le tir au but s'en est fini de la saison de West Brom et ça continue pour Aston Villa. Abraham et le but Le tir au but transformé par l'attaquant d'Aston Villa. Villa qui se donne le droit d'aller à Wembley.
4: When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man.
0: Destiny and Tammy Abraham's Street.
5: Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of com, and joining me to celebrate the winning of the Battle of the Bastards, I mean the, the baggies, Dan Rogers from TheVillaUnderground.com and Mr. Christopher Bush. Hello. Welcome, Hello.
1: gentlemen. Hello, fine people. Victory is ours. It was it, it was never in doubt.
4: It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean... I did anyone else? I, we were completely calm for those 120 minutes. I don't know about you.
5: Penalties were a walk in the park. I was, I was on, you know, I was just, just deciding which hotel I was going <laughs> to frequent this time. <laughs> uh, I told you, I told you, this was the test of the playoffs. Baggy's over two legs. I thought was the hardest test that we would be faced with. No, I'm not saying that we'll win the final by any means, but uh, this was a real. Test of character more so than football because we didn't actually play much football. It was resolved, wasn't it? It was, exactly. Yeah. Last man standing. And I think I mentioned it in an earlier podcast. You can go in saying, oh, we've just won 10 games and, uh, you know, we have the momentum. But anything can happen in these games. And it's all the first step is don't get anybody sent off. And we were the only team in the playoffs that didn't lose players. Chris Frump was desperate to be sent off that game. (laughs) And he got his wish. And that was the turning point which we will discuss in full in the show coming up. It's a regular show, so we'll kick off with the three points. We will go into a variation of the Scott Hogan touch count meter because he is obviously uh, on a beach right now, celebrating potentially a double promotion. And then we'll discuss the baggies and... And it was an unlikely uh, prospect our opponent at Wembley, Derby County, or as they are now known uh, since the last year or so, Frank Lampard's Derby County. Right, let's begin with the three points. Point number one, something that cropped up and pretty much headlined a five-hour meeting I had for the Football Supporters Association as it's going to be called. It's currently, uh, basically, it's the joining up of the Football Supporters Federation and the Supporters Direct. I'm uh, on the National Council, so I I get to go to these meetings, I think it's four or five times a year, to uh, discuss policy and form policy from a supporter's point of view. And one thing that headlined it was this threat of uh, an expansion of the Champions League, or to call it, in under its other guys, a European league. There's been a company set up which is 50% owned by UEFA, 50% owned by the ECA, which uh, in a nutshell is like the major clubs. Uh, you know, Manchester United, Liverpool, your Chelsea's, and then Ajax, Real Madrid, Barcelona, who are all trying to leverage a setup where they will get a bigger chunk of the pie. And there's been ongoing meetings over the next, uh, I think the mid part of May. Recently, uh, there's been a meeting where the French League and the German League have actually uh, resisted calls and voted against it. So that was a good uh, first move. The Premier League will be uh, looking at it soon. I mean, I'm not going to bore you. We'll probably talk about it in a future podcast, but it's basically setting up these leagues where uh, there'll be four to five teams from per country going into it. This is going to be starting in 2024. The upshot is the Premier League deal will probably lose half of its uh, value in TV rights. There'll be no more parachute payments to uh, championship teams. There'll be less of a trickle down The Premier League at the moment uh, trickles money down into all the divisions to make up for their shortfall. They'll be ceasing to do that the premier league will be reduced to probably 18 16 teams you'll probably see the scrapping of the league cup and you'll get to a situation where these european games will be on weekends as well and no doubt the bigger teams will start resting players you know when they've got to play burnley away or something in the domestic league because their focus will be on this european league so this is going to be a real the the press haven't really covered it but it's just one of those things like the 39th game where a league plays one game in asia or uh, america that people just assume won't happen but this is apparently a real threat because it's got the big boys behind it and just to sum up the attitude i think it's spearheaded by juventus's owner and he's essentially of the belief that teams like juventus madrid manchester united barcelona have built the legacy of europe so they should be dining on the table all the time It'd basically be impossible for them to get relegated out of it. And uh, when the kind of glory of what happened with Leicester was mentioned, he said, fuck Leicester. You know, they're the ones that have built it, so they should stay there. But anyway, it's something to keep your eyes open for, and hopefully it will be resisted because uh, it will change football as we know it. Point number two Chris Budd.
1: Well, while Villa were traveling the mere three. Four miles to the Hawthorns, we uh, found out this week that Chelsea and Arsenal will now be off to Baku, Azerbaijan, some 2,468 miles away on the edge of uh, Europe, nearer towards Asia for their uh, Europa League final. So yeah, so there's no scheduled flights. The only way you can fly direct to Baku for the game would be to leave London the Saturday before and return a now. week later. <laughs> Yeah, if you're listening, Um, it's an eight. Yeah, essentially that's an eight day trip for 90 minutes of football. The train would take more than four days, and you could drive, but it'd take you about 58 hours. So Mm -hmm. so take your pick.
5: What would you do if Filler got into a European game? Well, let's say a Europa League final in Baku. Would you? uh, Would you bother?
1: Just to say, I'd been there. I'd go for it. I wouldn't have a reason to go there otherwise. The most Ryanair flight in the world. (laughs) Chained to your seat.
5: Even if there was a good chance you'd never come back, considering it's going to take fifty-eight hours, a good chance you might get lost along the way, though.
1: <laughs> I'm not a letter. <laughs> you might get there quicker if you were posted.
5: Yeah, that's well, a you good never, point. No I was just, just says... cover myself
1: in stamps and hope for the best.
5: Yeah, that, that could be the way forward.
1: It reminds me of the uh the Buenos Aires derby, wasn't it? Was it the Cup Copa, yeah, was it Copa the Libertadores against it was, um, was yeah. it Boca against River that got moved to Madrid for safety concerns. Yeah, that's a legitimately that just a mere 6000 <laughs> miles away. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I suppose they were legitimate concerns, but uh, a bit of an overkill to actually change continent.
4: Surprise!
5: Right. Point number three. Point number three.
4: Now, this this point, it, I love things like where people get spotted on TV in places where they shouldn't be, and this relates what, when you're skiving off work. Yeah, particularly people who you know are skiving off work. I think there's a there's that great video of that guy who was spotted, I think, in a in a TV interview at the races once with. Uh, his mistress, and he's trying to edge out of camera. That type of that type of thing. <laughs> this is the story of a uh, footballer, Jordi van der Laan, who is a, uh, was a footballer with second-tier Dutch side Telstar. Only he called in sick because he just had to get to the semi-final, Ajax's <laughs> semi-final against Spurs last week. He was caught short, having made the trip overseas to Spurs' brand-new stadium and uh, was spotted uh, on TV. Oops.
5: Several times, I think. You think when you escape the country, you're in the clear, but uh, obviously not. You would think so. I think it's uh, it's, it's funny because in, in, the, in
4: the BBC report that picked it up, he says his, his team's group chat exploded, and, and basically it, it led to him being released by Telstone. He put out a cheeky tweet the uh, the week after for the reverse game, saying
5: that he was yeah he was actually free this time to go to the <laughs> to the Amsterdam leg of the tie. <laughs> It reminds me of Darren Bent when he was uh, caught shopping on a match day. I think it was under McLeish. Yeah, we were at home as well. Yeah, that kind of blew up.
4: I saw Jonathan Codger shopping as well in Birmingham Airport, but he was only dropping his (laughs) wife (laughs) off, apparently.
1: (laughs) He was after the hairdressers. (laughs) In (laughs) Lyon. Speaking of Dutch footballers... Former Villa nemesis Rafael van der Vaart has decided to uh, switch, switch careers after uh, retiring from football and has now taken up darts. He uh, won his first competitive match 4-2 over local player Thomas Anderson on Saturday.
4: I can't wait till he turns up in Wolverhampton on the tour. That'll be a real exactly.
1: highlight
5: for him. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Where, yeah. how you go from football with you know all its cash and its glory, glamour? To darts. Let's be honest,
1: glamour. Yeah. This is not glamour. Apparently, his brother plays professionally, so I wonder if it's just an excuse to hang out with yeah. his brother and have a bit of a laugh. Probably get very yeah. smashed in the process.
5: Yeah, that's probably true. Do they still drink and darts?
1: <laughs> nah, it's probably they're probably on <laughs> green smoothies these days, aren't they? They're all in peak physical condition, aren't they? Yeah. Mm, I've Mm, tuned into the darts
5: I'm not sure
4: I'm not sure they're all (laughs) if they were to all strip off their tops they don't all look like Tyrone Mings underneath
5: who does right let's get into uh, the purpose why we are here Uh, First of all, though, just a quick massive thanks and shout out to uh, the new Myo Man Said patrons who have signed up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Rob McClory, Joe Meehan, Pete Brooks, Pat Buckley, Sean Mahone, Stuart Luscott-Evans, Liz Morgan, Jack Davis, Philip Travers, Neil Bouchier. Bouchier? Bouchier. Bouchier. And Alan Jones. Thank you very much. Stuart, uh,
1: you have a name like a footballer.
5: An under-23s Aston Villa player, he sounds like. Most of them are double barrels. It's John Meehan. Me down uh, the left. It's Pete Brooks.
4: Buckley. Buckley through to my hand. Let's get a goal! So it
5: goes. What? Oh my God, this podcast finally coming alive. <laughs> Calm down, Jack Woodward. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, supporting uh, independent villa content, whether I hate that word content, website and podcast that stays away from the horrid cesspit of clickbait. Uh, please do support us and support the show by becoming a My On oh Said patron. Go to MyOnMansaid.com and click on the patron option for more details. Right, quickly, before we get into the villa and baggies, although this is technically about the villa and baggies, Scott Hope. Hogan, as we said at the top of the show, is on a beach somewhere, counting his muller uh, while contemplating the possibility of a double promotion. So we can't count his touches. So I'm gonna we're going to have a face-off, mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask you who had the most touches between two players in the midfield, the full-backs, and the centre-backs of Aston Villa against the baggies over... <laughs> I already feel like I'm going to lose this game. Let's go.
4: Carry on. Let's go with it.
5: Over the time of the game, which uh, I think most of these players played the whole uh, the whole match, to be honest. Okay. Well, we'll start. First of all, Conor Horahan versus Jack Grealish. Who had the most touches? Grealish. You're allowed to go for the same one, but if it's a tie break, then you have to say how many touches. I'm going to say Horahan 1-0 to the Rodgers. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> Oh, you're cocky. Horahan had, had but 100. The falling <laughs> apart again. <Go> <laughs> 146 touches from Conor Horahan. Uh, normally, a player in 90 minutes, Grealish, he's got over a 100 once once or twice over the last season. Normally, he's around anywhere between 80 90. So, Horahan's 146 is, is pretty exceptional. Jack came in at 126. Right, next one. Fullbacks normally have a lot of touches. Uh, compared to the rest of the team, because it's normally the keeper rolls it out to them. So with that in mind, Elmo versus Neil Taylor. Chris Bird, you go first this time. To stay in the tie. Tyler. Dan Rogers. Elmo. 2-0. Oh, wow. oh, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fuck the Chris
4: Bird. Fuck the Chris Bird. Fuck the Chris Bird. Fuck the Chris <laughs> Bird.
5: If anybody follows uh, touches and that kind of stuff, uh, Elmo, there's a good bet Elmo is number one. It's either him or Grealish normally. So 2-0 uh, just for the sake of it. Mings versus 2 Enzebi. Zebi. Dan Rogers, you go first. Ooh mings mings it was mings we don't need to go into a tiebreaker uh, because the game has already won
1: won. won. (laughs) 2-0 does this this mean I get to throw a wobbly like Patrick Bamford
5: (laughs) we'd have to pick you up off the floor and we haven't got time to do that right going into the game West Brom Villa, I mean, going into this, mm. I thought the hard part was done because, as we discussed, Dwight Gale, they're potentially their most potent player in terms of if they were going to beat us uh, at the Hawthorns was gone. Uh, but at the same time, because Villa didn't get that that third goal to give them a two-goal advantage, West Brom didn't really have to go gun ho They could keep their plan, their discipline, how they'd been playing and uh, just aim to nick the nick a goal. And I think that goal came a bit early for for our liking, because mm. that uh, set the game up a bit more as a replica of what happened at Villa Park, didn't it? it that's, that was the tone for the rest of the game. And to the credit, Baggies defended very well mm. throughout the whole two legs.
1: I actually think we, we started quite well. It was a really good sort of first 20 minutes. We were popping the ball around quite well. Okay. And I think the Albion didn't appear to have much to offer at that point. You thought it was always going to be, you know, very back to front and Mings and Twan we were going to be, you know, bombarded with Under the high ball, but Albion's goal just sort of came from nowhere, really, and it was just a Mm. dreadful sort of Sunday League, typically Villa-esque goal to concede. It was was dreadful, start to finish, wasn't it? The goal. I mean, there was the the foul in the lead up to it, but to be honest, the way Mm. Villa defended it, they didn't deserve to get the break of the ball there at all.
5: Yeah, I thought Mings Mings is meant to be there to not for us to get out muscled in situations like that
1: he's certainly been wobbly hasn't he over both games i think
5: yeah we're not as robust as i uh as i kind of was thinking that we were i mean when we played leeds recently we we did kind of go toe to toe so i thought come the final if leeds got there that uh, we would be able to match them uh if if it turned into a physical game but the baggies at times seemed like they were like grown-up men and we were a bit lightweight at times in terms of the physical battle I mean, McGinn wasn't getting much purchase. Grealish was struggling to, you know, make a real impact because sometimes they were just getting shrugged off.
1: I think it because because the Albion played their press. You know, they sort of they sat back to the halfway line. They were just letting us have the ball, and then all of a sudden they sort of just converged around the ball as soon as we crossed the halfway line. So I think similarly to the game at Villa Park, they just set themselves up to play in a certain way, and it was just two completely contrasting styles that kind of didn't. You know, obviously, didn't complement each other for a good entertaining game of football, but it was a you know yeah. a very hard watch at times.
4: Yeah, it was a hard watch at times. I think. I think what we saw was that when you have Urahan in the side, that, that the midfield always looks a bit lighter. I think for for not having someone like Whelan in there. And mopping up.
5: I was going to say, before the semi-final kicked off, the consensus on this show, well, certainly from my, myself, was in terms of that Conor Horahan, Glenn Whelan uh, toss-up, I would be playing Conor Horahan, starting him in the in the home leg mm-hmm. and then Whelan in the second mm-hmm. leg. Yeah, And Smith Smith went the opposite way. And I don't know if Smith was reacting because Conor Horahan obviously scored and, and made an impact. That's why he started.
1: I think it was a bit of... Um... Think it was a bit of making a statement wasn't it the fact that they'd finished so well in the first leg that he said you know what we're gonna yeah we're gonna get on the front foot here which they I tried think where to it do. came
4: i think it came undone a little bit with they they got that early-ish goal and we weren't we weren't playing badly i don't think in the first as you say first 20 minutes we we rocked a little bit after that i think we were i think we were faced with the prospect of not that it, you know not that it wasn't a, a chance of that happening in game and the Albion would score but i think that we we'd come with such confidence that i i don't think we i think we thought we would Maybe get that goal ourselves first, and it took us a bit. It took us till half time to regroup, actually. Yeah. You you do wonder what else comes into it around. You know, is there is there a little bit of fatigue there?
1: Certainly mentally. You
4: know, is he carrying a little bit of an injury? Suggestion of a of a of a a knock, Mings.
1: Yeah, Mings had had a tight hamstring, hadn't he? And he was cramping up towards the end of the game.
5: You could see it. But he was shaky in the first leg as well.
1: Yeah. The, the, The frustrating thing was, I suppose, that. But considering how much of the ball we had, we still managed to play ourselves into trouble because the Albion offered did, so little we? at times and showed no real interest pushing on until we gave the ball away. It was, we just were the, well, the architects we... of our own downfall at times.
5: Yeah, I was going to say we were our worst enemies at times. I mean, Steer's distribution as well was a bit questionable well, at times. Which so is so scary something, in that's, game, actually. That's,
1: um, it's something we've been saying all season, isn't it, at times, that if Villa are on their A game, they're going to be a match for anyone in the division. But our own worst, our you know, our biggest sort of rival is ourselves, and it's been the case with Villa for a number of years.
4: You think, um, uh, you know, sort of thinking of the game more broadly, that though you know, though we lost our way a little bit in the early part of the first half, were we
1: guilty of oh,
4: trying to overplay the ball into our? I think so.
1: After I think it was.
5: Well, a few people have said to me we looked nervous in the final third, and I kind of agree. It didn't look like we were playing with on instinct. It was kind of overthought, and I think. Partly that was obviously because the the baggies had frustrated us, but they were playing very well and we didn't seem to have. It reminded me of uh, Villa back in the days of Martin O'Neill trying to break teams down at Villa Park Mm -hmm. when uh, when our away form was okay because... Teams would open up at their on their patch, but at Villa Park they would come to defend, do pretty much what the baggies did, and we were we were pretty we didn't really have the guile or the conviction to break them down.
4: And did you think that in amongst that there was some I just kept finding myself thinking the same thing over and over again, be it be it with the some of the defensive mistakes that put us put us in danger or some of the opportunities that went by. They seem like very individual errors, often impulsive, you know, especially in front of goal. We seem to get into really dangerous positions. Time and time again. And then there'd be a scuffed shot or an impulsive attempt at goal that you just thought, just with a bit of
5: composure. Give us some examples. Oh, for
4: for instance, um, I think McGinn McGinn scuffed one wide. Adoma, after he'd come on, lumps one into the stand behind the goal. There was a great ball across in either half. I think one in the first half across the face of goal from Taylor to Abraham where he, you know, if you'd have just gambled and in the second half, I think Elmo put one in between
1: the keeper and the six. Yeah, it was a cracking ball, the one in the second
4: Fantastic half. ball that you think, oh, wh- why How haven't we read that, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah. also
1: I think, why weren't we doing more of that? You know, when the, we, we, we clearly weren't going to be able to play through the middle against, you know, a five-man back four and a, and a, and a midfield four. Why didn't we try and get around the side? We just almost like we didn't have the belief, be it green or Ghazi or a dome, we don't actually have the belief that we could get to the byline and deliver?
5: And I think at times we suffered we, we I mean considering how west brom were playing and also the fact uh for both games that there were patches where they were playing with 10 men mm. i thought we were lacking the extra midfielder in the box mm. making a run in you know you talked about because some of the some of the balls that went in were good but there was just nobody there mm. and he just thought if we want to win this game and okay we're there's a you know you're going to side on caution a little bit because you don't want to give a goal away but this was a West Brom team that wasn't really offering that much and yeah. at times you just thought if you just had another runner coming in if they just I don't want to say gamble but it's, it was the same with more um,
1: conviction it was the same with the set players as well you know it was I know that the baggies have a you know a strong back three and they're all tall guys but we're still the team in the league who's scored the most from set plays and the mm-hmm. amount of times we were going for short corners and every time we had the ball in wide areas we'd, we'd roll it back we'd overplay there's so many occasions where you just thought, just put it in the box and compete. Give yourself mm. a chance,
4: especially with the height that we have in from set players as well. I mean, time and time and, and, and the, the delivery that
1: we have as well, the quality of the players who can put a ball on a six in Grealish McGinn and Horahan, especially recently.
4: Al uh, Ghazi too, and that, that was a, yeah, that was the disappointing thing. There, any number of times that, though, I do think Al Ghazi can struggle for a decision, especially when he's running with the ball. His end product is fantastic, you know, he can yeah. he's very accurate. Yeah. Um, but it was contrasted on the other side by, I thought Green had a really, didn't really impact on the game at he all. He doesn't, does he
1: when he starts games, I don't think. He's a he great really impact sub, but I don't, I just, whenever we've seen him, even against quite average sides, he just doesn't seem to start the game. No. When Brunt went off, I thought Villa were safe
5: from that point, yeah, obviously going down to
1: 10 men. Well, there, game, the Albion and... were never going to show any more than they already had. It was just... Literally, let's just put all our men on the 18-yard line and hope for the best.
5: I mean, that left us with 40 minutes, included extra time to uh, seal the deal. And obviously, we didn't take advantage of them going down to 10 men at Villa Park. So I was a little bit disappointed we didn't finish the game off there and then. But also, I kind of expected we wouldn't because West Brom were just doing what they were doing, essentially. It didn't really alter their defensive uh, makeup. And obviously, uh, Rodriguez went off eventually as well. Mm. But... Brunt sending off while we're on the subject of it. I mean initially he stood on McGinn's arm. I think that was potentially accidental.
4: It was just the dwelling on that when he when he planted his foot and I'm not in the I'm not in the you know, just last week that we had we had opposition fans the open fans rewinding Grealish's, the Gibbs foul on Grealish for the penalty and ultra slow motion and all that. Yeah. You know, live it looked like a stamp, the replay in, in real time speed to me. It just looks like he plants his foot. You know, a few minutes later he cleans him out again and then in the second half he hacks him down. Yeah. For me, he was just asking. It was very, not dissimilar to, to Dwight Gale. You just think, how many times is this player going to commit a, a yellow card offense?
5: The funny thing about Grealish, I mean, that's why we wanted to play Leeds in the final because as well as, uh, you know, them being the t- two biggest clubs in the league and and you know the tradition as well uh the the recent kind of social media (laughs) fire that started it's a bit of a newcastle vibe but also because we played them recently and and what happened in that game i I, I really wanted to play Leeds in that final but you know they fell apart once again i think it's the fifth time they failed in the playoffs but all the grief they're giving Old grealish an interesting stat that popped up grealish has not been booked for simulation or retrospectively banned for it in three seasons of championship football and during that time he's been fouled 336 times so he's either very good at getting away with it mm. or he's kind of playing within the rules of the game and mm. you know the penalty going back to the uh, the Villa Park leg that was just the, the classic drag your back leg when the player dives in once he's down you know you've got him because you just drag your back leg it makes contact and it's just, it's it's a bit of a, what do you call it, a loophole, because by law, the contact's there, even though you're pretty much playing for it, and but there's nothing you can do. VAR, whatever, is not going to change the opinion.
1: Gibbs knew exactly what he'd did, done, didn't he, straight away? There was
5: no yeah. complaints from him. Yeah. Exactly, no protest on the field. And, and I was surprised that it was, I think the, the baggies pushed it before the FA board, didn't they? And they looked at it yeah.
1: with an independent I mean, ultimately, it was while there's not, you know, it's not like a, yeah. a strong meaty the tackle that goes through him he's he's nowhere near the ball and he's dived in in the box it's like there is no mm. no one in football who would say oh that's borderline
4: I was sat right behind that for me it, Just was, a it, was, stupid a decision. it was a foul as well, you know. it was rash yeah. wasn't it yeah
1: because yeah. Yeah. going back about five seasons
5: uh, I think it was at Anfield when Villa were making a good fist of playing against Liverpool and then I think Liverpool equalised with a penalty when Suarez broke through. Guzan came flying out, but nice. he didn't touch him. Didn't touch him at all. Suarez admitted after the game to Guzan, but he didn't that he didn't touch him. And you look at the you know you match of the day. The pundits are going, well, you know he shouldn't be sliding in like that. Well, he didn't touch him, mm-hmm. so it's not a penalty. And they, and there's and they didn't even when they uh, they went around the penalty, they didn't even show you the evidence. They just said, yeah, Guzan's fault It was a penalty actually they didn't actually show one slow motion replay or anything they just made their minds up but I'm sorry but if you don't touch a guy and he pulled his arms away it's not a penalty but in this case Grealish
1: was touched even if it's like uh, a limp touch it's a penalty if there's no contact that's called simulation isn't it Patrick Banford
4: yeah and bringing it back to Brunt I, I mean it was I think it was targeted stuff at one of our best players you know I don't think it's any surprise that that McGinn was being kicked all over the pitch the first challenge where he kicks him off his feet particularly was bad. was uh, awful. Yeah, and and I think that it's no different to what the Blues were doing. You know, Blues targeted Grealish in in both the derby games within five seconds of the kickoff both times. And to be honest, in in the game against the Albion, um, the um, the Scandinavian midfielder uh, tried to dead leg Grealish a couple of times by by you know checking in you know it's the dark
5: arts isn't it and the bottom line is their game plan is to stop us rather than uh you know concentrating on what they're doing which shows you there's uh, there's a lot of respect out for what we you know how teams perceive us and what our capabilities are and, that, and that's you know shows you why we are uh was potentially the biggest threat to any team in this uh playoffs but i think if we didn't get those two, two sending offs i don't i i Struggled to say with any conviction we'd have got through this uh, semi-final because mm-hmm. I don't think we did enough. You know, we we kind of relied on the baggies to self-destruct in some respect.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
5: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a
4: t-shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care.
0: Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See
5: mcdonalds.com. And we only got through, really, because of modern football. It was modern football and Sky that wanted the playoffs. (laughs) If there was no playoffs would have been fifth and people would have been laughing at us and i remember at the time you know there was as as there is to any change there was resistance going well that's not very fair if a team that can finish fifth all of a sudden can qualify you know over a team that's finished third wow. there was a lot of resistance a lot of resistance to that at the time so we've benefited from that and then we've also benefited from the away goals were all being scrapped because we'd have been out if it was still in play
4: <laughs> but it's not So it doesn't
5: matter So <laughs> the dark arts Of modern football Have got us
1: through uh, This tie
5: No Grit And determination Perseverance
1: And do you know what And, ke- ke- and keeping our heads Albion I mean, have had about Three so. players yeah. Sent off in three games And all of them Have been completely avoidable True In three games Yeah, And Robson Carnu Got sent off Stupidly on the final oh, Day of the it's season Oh before Right gotcha yeah. You know has cost, cost them has cost them And you're not You're not talking about Like squad players These are three Big, big players for the Albion.
4: And do you know where that really hurt them? It really hurt them when penalties came up because yeah. they, <laughs> yeah, they were they were really scrabbling around for the Isaiah Osbournes of the of the world, weren't they, for penalty kick
1: takers Well, their,
5: their, their mascot was almost <laughs> had a shoe in to take the. Uh, I think if it went to a sixth penalty sudden death, it was the mascot who was going to be <laughs> trundling up. Is that
1: the bird or the uh,
5: or the fridge? The uh, the bird, I think, this time. Lucky bird. <laughs> yes. But before that, uh, sorry, just we skipped over one point. The, the probably the best chance of the game was uh, nice. a Domar's uh, and what a chance save. that forced a very good save from uh, Johnson. That was the time where you knew it was going to penalties. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it was that moment where I just thought, you know what, maybe this just isn't our day. <laughs> no, I, I I felt confident as soon as the brunt went off because penalties. You could see uh, Smith started to make substitutes for penalties. Yeah. And they worked. And we had our full full selection of takers. I mean, to the extent that even Codger couldn't get on uh, on the on the top five list. No, that's true. No. But unfortunately the baggies I mean, Rodriguez was out. Dwight Gale was gone. Brunt's one of their uh, better takers. They were the, yeah. the their main
1: three oh, Rob, players. Robson carnu would have probably taken one. Robson carnu uh, exactly. Barry had been fit. He'd have normally bur- yeah. buried penalties.
5: Yeah. So I was I was uh, more than confident in penalties. And you know, Yedinak came on. I mean, we should have done a touch count on Yedinak One, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that was in the net. So. <laughs> Unvilla
4: thing to do. The fact that you know that's the kind of thing that other teams do, and you think, "Wow, I wish we could bring on <laughs> wish some we could guy, bring
1: on an Australian with a great beard, bring on the Good. destroyer of worlds."
5: Well, I mean, that's that's what I meant. Confident when he when he was one of the penalty takers, I thought fantastic because this is a guy that took penalties for fun in the last yeah. World Cup and yeah. scored, yeah. and he's got nerves of steel. He didn't give a shit.
1: I mean, straight no, away, as with stare. a lot of stuff with them, um, as Andrew's with so good. much with Smith, straight away it just said, "Oh well, there's clearly a plan here."
4: Yeah.
1: That he knows well, what as he's, he's he doing said, straight
5: away. Yeah, as he said in his post-match, uh, they'd been working on penalties since the day that they would qualified for yeah. the, uh, since, the, the, since, the playoffs. since the since the since
1: uh, the the Millwall game. So they've had probably two or three weeks of penalty prep. Yeah. I think Steer said he's he's faced well over a hundred. Or so oh, penalties.
5: In some respects, it probably there are probably a bit a lot of that research uh, into uh, West Brom penalty takers would have gone out the windows cause, gone out the window because half of them weren't obviously uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. on the pitch self-imposed bans.
4: How will your blood pressure be when we go to penalties at Wembley?
5: Well, that's another story. I mean, to be honest, I was <laughs> reasonably cool in this one just from who we had to take it just they say penalties are a lottery but they're not really when you've got five the first five players are actually recognized penalty takers Mm. against four or five players that uh I mean the young kid that went up to take the first one and and this is something that's interesting because we're not this soft touch anymore Steer was just staring him out well, he walked to see that? he
1: followed him from the halfway line didn't he Yeah
5: and just and just kept looking at him it was very the uncomfortable best is, I mean, on second view. <laughs> the best yeah. bit is like you see he's looking at him and then the West Brom player clocks him, looking at him, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, yeah." And then Steele looks away, and then he immediately looks at him again, <laughs> <laughs> just to give him the double freak out. And that obviously worked worked a treat. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, yeah, we're we're playing the dark arts here. This is this is what I want to see. This is getting good practice in for Leeds, and mm. uh, obviously we're not playing Leeds now, which is a shame because uh, we've obviously got some tricks up our sleeves for them.
1: I mean, uh, I mean, a word, obviously for the steer who was you know had his amazing moment from where he started the season you know the first save i think if you go the right way you'd expect him to save that one he's kind of he's, yeah. he's beating with the mind games but the second one from hagazi is an incredible penalty save because the guys hit it Right in the bottom yeah. corner and hit it hard, and it's such a strong hand. It's a brilliant save.
5: Yeah, because the, the baggies penalties, to be fair, were not you know they weren't softy ones, were they? No, they were no, you no. know reasonably well struck. There weren't any weak penalties there. Not like Albert
1: Adomars which was awful. But and, and to be fair, all the you know what all the um all the Villa ones were you know the ones that went in clearly were really well hit. You know the Grealish ones right yeah. in the corner, the Horeham one to start off with is superb, the Yedinak one's fantastic as you'd expect, and Abraham sort of you could see on the replay did. Johnson with the, with the eyes, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Waited for him to go and rolled it in.
5: Because Abraham's obviously missed one in recent memory. Uh, when when they miss their first two, you're thinking, yeah, we're, we're going to Wembley. And then Adomar steps up and then you think, oh, here we go. There's a twist coming here. And you weren't 100% on Abraham. I mean, you probably, let's say you were 70,
1: 80%. 75% I mean, well, jo- Johnson let, got a touch it, it? didn't he? He got a, got, a yeah. nick, got a nick to it. But,
5: but it was uh, enough. And um, actually, we're on a good... Historically, we're on a pretty decent run on penalties. I mean, since the Tramia Rovers '94 semi final, which now that, that was one that I uh talking about uh going to hell on that one um, went back and forth a couple of times, didn't it? That was a that was a humdinger when they've you know when they had penalties to
1: win the game. Well, me, we missed, we, I think, was it we missed two and they missed three or something? Yeah,
5: know? I mean, it's swung a couple of ways. Then since then, we've beaten Inter Milan, Bolton, Sunderland, and
4: Sorry, we can't go past into Milan. We, we can't go past Inter Milan without mentioning Phil King.
5: Shout out to Phil King if you're listening. You beauty! Great celebration as well. Yeah, One of my favorite. Iconic favorite, photograph. That is. Favorite, and there's just a smile on his face. Mm-hmm.
1: It was the look of a man who was saying, "What am I doing here?" <laughs> Brilliant. No, he was.
5: He was happy. He was happy. with his little muller shirts on. Oh. One nostalgia. of my favourite penalty wins, which isn't counted there, uh, is not counted is when we beat Juventus in the Peace Cup. When Buffon was in goal, trying to fend off the likes of Barry Bannon and Mark Albrighton, who hadn't actually uh, been seen around the, the Villa First team at that stage. And Del GM1,
1: Alessandro Del Piero probably took one of the worst oh, penalties oh, ever oh, seen oh, on a football field. Yeah. But the funniest thing about that penalty
5: is Guzan He's, he's getting all hyped up. He's like, going, you know, left and right, you're jumping up and down, blah, blah, blah. And, j- and then Del Piero does that little dink, but miskicks it. And, and Guzan's still jumping up and down, and blah, 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 and then he's just realised, hang on a minute, this ball's just trickling to me. <laughs> so Guzan's looking a bit of a fool, <laughs> but, uh, and he almost panicked when it just trickled towards him, because he was expecting, you know, to do something real drastic. Shock and awe, shock shock Oh, and then it underwhelmed. <laughs> and then, oh, 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 fuck. Did he? He just kicked it straight back. at Him, didn't yeah, he? he just, say, Fuck he you! Just smashed it back <laughs> with insult dis- me. Absolutely with disdain, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> it was like, how dare you insult me and my
1: fellow Villa men? Have some professional pride, man. <laughs> yeah.
5: That was a great moment. It's a shame that cup's not really worth anything in the in the grand scheme of things.
4: No, it's probably seized by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs last season.
5: <laughs> to to Villa <laughs> fans, to Villa fans of a certain age that bear deep grudges, uh, that was to me. I celebrated that more than actually when we beat the baggies uh, the other, earlier in this week because I was celebrating revenge for when they knocked us out the European Cup the year after we won it. Yeah. We've never been back since. So uh mm. I, I like to take small victories where I can get. you got to take what you can get these days, Dave. <laughs> exactly. I mean, come on. Uh... So at the end of the day, it was a war of attrition. Mm. We're in the final. Yes. And as I said, Before I thought that would be our toughest test. And, uh, I mean, it was.
1: I mean, while it was a tough test, I I think we can all agree that actually over the two legs, Villa still actually did deserve to go through just for the simple fact that you can't play against the team and concede 73% of the ball at home, 69% of the ball away Mm. and actually expect to go through. Like Albion didn't show any willing to actually go and win the tie. So for that alone, at least Villa tried to have a go.
4: What did you think of our penalty appeal in the second
1: half for the handball? I think the ref's placement is behind their players. And I think if he sees it, he gives it. That's one of those penalties yeah. you think you've seen that given a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, Al had one, didn't he, in the first half against? I think it, maybe we got we probably dodged a bullet there as well, but it's, it is mm-hmm. it is a penalty.
5: Because the the referee's close enough, but one of their players just runs just in his eye line, just, line just line as it of happens. Yeah, Yeah, just uh, wrong place at the wrong time for, well, for us anyway, for for that Baggies player. But I think you'd have given that. I did think
1: that live. And interestingly, after the game, I hadn't even realised until I saw online, it was the first time we'd failed to score since we played the Baggies at home in February.
5: Wow. Yeah, well, I was going to say that one of the things we pride ourselves on, and I think you, Chris, mentioned it in the last show, was uh, we pretty much score in every game. Mm. But this is... Two times now in four games, we've failed to score against uh, the Albion. And something is, is interesting, I mean, what do we get marks for in this semi? Do we get it for our football? No. Do we get it for our, I don't know, killer instinct? No. Our ideas? No. But we get it for the grit. We get it for the spirit. Just that resolve, which... If you're going to win things, sometimes you need that to get you over the line. I mean, I'm hoping that uh, the game against Derby in the final isn't a matter of a you know war of attrition and the last men standing uh, get over the line and, and get promoted. I'm hoping it's a bit more open and uh, both teams can uh, have a pop I mean, at each let, other. Unless yeah,
1: we forget that the, the Horahan goal is probably the standout sort of footballing yeah. moment of the whole yeah. time. To have you know, we still did manage to show bits of quality and Well we did try um, to play
4: football. That that was the thing. That's the thought... thing. I
1: don't think it was it wasn't necessarily that we played badly and that we were just clueless. I just think we were very frustrated and probably mm. that we'd more you'd use the word sort of ineffective rather than bad. Yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't like we were, you know especially in the home leg, I didn't think we played badly. We just weren't you know, um effective going forward. But actually we we, we never looked in huge amount of trouble we weren't it wasn't like we were spraying the ball around left right and center and banging it out for a throw in every five minutes or over hitting crosses we were just frustrated for two games and to be fair you have to you have to give Albion credit for that you know they had their game plan and they executed it perfectly and you say fair play to them but we got we got the job done that we needed to in the way that we wanted to do it
5: to be fair I mean if I was feeling a bit fatalistic through the whole tie, the the point was probably at Villa Park in the the first half because uh, we looked a bit blunt in terms of what we could, uh, you know, what we were offering to to get through there. Uh,
1: I, mean, yeah. I mean, very
5: disciplined, very
1: organised. There was one point in I think it was like stoppage time uh, in the first half at Villa Park where we'd we'd been pissing around with the ball in our own half. We'd knocked it out for a needless throw in. Which Gail was winding up a long one, and you could almost sense the anxiety of "We're going to concede the second here, a, st- a really stupid second goal." Luckily, we got it out and went on and yeah. won it, But lit- we we were, you know, we were we were probably only one mistake away from losing the tie, from serious trouble. Yeah, yeah. which was actually very avoidable against a team that was showing so little willing.
5: Right. Anyway, enough enough for the baggies game. It's over. It's history. Hopefully, we don't see them again. And uh, you can add the leads to that. You can add the blues to that. And to get to that position where we don't have to uh, mix with the Ravel for at least a season, we've got to beat Derby County first. Shout out to Lampard's men because uh, they were in this position where they had nothing to lose after winning, losing the first leg 1-0. And I mean, that was a hell of a open game compared to what we've witnessed over two mm. lakes against West Brom. And it just turned into a firefight. And considering the two games between the teams when they've played that Leeds have bettered them six, one over two mm-hmm. games, you'd expect Leeds to win that. But Leeds, I mean, literally are falling apart yeah. at this football supporters association meeting uh, that I mentioned at the top of the show. I, I was sitting next to a Leeds man and he said, he feared they would go out in the mm. semi-final. He said, you know, we've just completely lost it.
4: Well, I said a couple of weeks right.
5: ago that oh,
4: for me they looked like a team that had had just lost all discipline. Yeah, they'd run yeah. their race right from, from top to weeks. bottom. I think they were they were massively rocked by the spygate thing. Yeah, you know when we played them a couple of weeks ago, even even if you take out the bizarre walk-in goal that they allowed us to have, they, they didn't strike me as a team that that looked like it was promotion ready. Another fact I didn't know about them is I think they're the only team from the last ten seasons or so of the championship, who have been top at Christmas
5: and not gone up. That's what we said in the last podcast. Yeah, that frames the collapse for me. The other stat is Leeds have never, ever beaten the same team four times in a season. You don't normally play a team four times in a season. So that fact may be a bit dodgy (laughs) when you uh, look back in Leeds history to see how many times they've played a team four times. But uh, the football gods have a funny way of evening things up. And this is what I'm a bit tentative about, this final against Derby. Mm. is you look at our two former games against them and you're thinking 7-0 over two games, 4-0 at Villa Park, 3-0 at, at Baseball Ground or Pride Park, whatever it's called. And you're thinking, do the gods of football allow this? Will they allow a clean sweep? Uh, I might always remember one example when Le- uh, Liverpool hammered Crystal Palace 9-0 in the league and then played them in the FA Cup semi-final and Palace won 4-3.
1: I remember when Liverpool played us in the FA Cup semi-final, having already beaten us 3-0 at Anfield, 2-0 at Villa Park, and then subsequently dispatched yeah. us 3-0 in the FA Cup, didn't they, as well? With yeah. Robbie Fowler single-handedly destroyed us in all three games. That was a
3: semi-final.
5: Yeah, I suppose you can you can bring up evidence for both sides of the coin. But I think, I mean, we'll, I mean, just looking at the game quickly, because I'm sure we'll uh, do a show on the game uh, in itself. One thing, as I mentioned uh and the last show was how Derby seemed to have toughened up. I mean, after Villa, they are, I think they were the second in form, in terms of the playoff teams, left. Well, there's only two now. Well, they'd only lost one in 12, hadn't they? Exactly. They'd won six, drawn five, which suggests, mm. we, you know, we consider them a bit lightweight and easy to play against. And, you know, Leeds and Villa fans would have said that before the playoffs. But they seem to have a bit more resolve now because they're not getting beat when they used to get beat. No. And they look lively against Leeds. But, I mean, to be honest, Derby were not defending well, even at the end when Leeds... Uh I mean, they were man down for most parts of the closing stages, but you know those Derby midfielders weren't getting back; they weren't tracking back quickly, and and Leeds had space to do something. But you know, we know about Leeds in the last few months; their finishing's been atrocious.
1: It was just two teams that couldn't defend, wasn't it? It was the theme of the whole game.
5: And we've just been practicing over a hundred and sorry, two hundred and ten minutes against. Ironically, the weakest defensive team going into the playoffs, but a team that actually defended, uh, you know, like lions. They were superb. Yeah. So we've had great practice in that respect. So I thought both Leeds and Derby were a bit flimsy at the back. So either or, I, I was kind of uh, quite content. I just, would, well, you know, you, you obviously get more pleasure beating Leeds after the recent game <laughs> we've played against them. And it would be a bigger day.
4: Mm. It would have been a rerun of the, uh, the 96 League Cup final as well.
5: Yeah. Yeah, apart from this time, it would have been 4 or (laughs) 5 (laughs) nil. You bet your bottom dollar on that, boys. Chris, what's your uh, first thoughts about uh, Frank Lampard's Derby County? Bring it on. Bring it on. And the poor man's Jack Grealish, Harry Wilson.
1: (laughs) The same applies with Villa going into the final as it did with the semi-final as it's been for the last few months, as it's been a lot of the season, and that is the same thing of if we turn up and play our game well we'll be fine Mm. and I stand by that because it's been proven over the throughout the season
5: well if we turn up that's the first thing isn't it I think I think you know what I
1: think there's a there seems a real focus and an urgency and even you could see after the game the players been interviewed in Smith that they are very focused they knew that they'd enjoy the moment at the Hawthorns but the job is very much not done you know I think both Derby and Villa have passed you know Derby have gone a step further than they went last year. But Villa definitely want to go this the you know the next step from last year as well I think.
5: I think, yeah, I think bottom line, Lampard's proven himself already. I think beating Leeds and the whole spike getting revenge for Spygate, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, first season in management, people uh, casting suspicious looks about, you know, playing on his name, you know, that's the only reason he got the job, whatever. I think he's proven himself and Smith, the only way he proves himself at Villa is to get promoted. I mean, that's the short of it, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and he's now got, he's not going to be in a better position. I think
1: t- t- to have gone on the run they went on to get in the position they were to to get through against the baggies in the manner that they did, I think you would be it. Would it be more? Dis- I think it would. It be more disappointing than last year because last year we lost to what we knew was a very good Fulham side.
5: Yeah, and I think I think Derby fans will be thinking what we were thinking going into that game against yeah. Fulham. Yeah, we were kind of faking it when we're trying to give it the big one when we're going to play Fulham because you've got to put on a bit of bravado. Underneath, we thought, well, we're going to have to fucking pull this one out the hat if we're going to win this.
1: Yeah, I think we we knew that Villa. It's that thing, you know. Villa could win it; they're capable. But are they on their day? Yeah. That we would have needed to raise our game, and Fulham would have needed to have an off day which they didn't. What's often
5: forgotten about that uh, game is uh, not only do we barely cross the halfway line in the first half and didn't force a corner, but we also played Fulham with, they were down to 10 men for the last 20 minutes and we, it was not like the Alamo. It wasn't like a bombardment. I mean, Grealish finally scored on the break. Yeah, skipped through once, ran out of space at the end to really have a proper finish, and uh, that was about it. And it was—it was like it was limp, wasn't it? The whole thing. Yeah, it was like yeah. slowly getting executed. I mean, the Arsenal game was a brutal execution. This was just like having your toenails pulled out slowly or something. It was. Uh, <laughs> Not, not yeah. the way you want to go. I'd, I'd rather have the, uh, the Arsenal one because at least you know when you're three or four nil down you can fuck off out of there.
1: Well, we knew, you know, in the Arsenal game, we knew by the time the first goal had arrived, we should have been about four nil down already.
4: I think that we're a long way away from, from there now. And yeah, I have to say, even despite what we've said about their leads, I am astonished that we we'll would be playing Derby in, in the final.
1: You know, from to, to, to be two nil up on aggregate, having yeah. taken the lead at home, mm. to, to implode in quite the manner they did. It's quite it shows something. a complete lack of game management, doesn't it, really? And yeah. I think
4: we've got to be mindful of that that how buoyed Derby will probably be from that victory and from getting into the playoffs and you know, a similar run to ourselves, a similar confidence to ourselves. I think that what we've got to do is we've got to get back to the really refocusing on what got us on that great run, what, what sustained yeah. it. And and it is not a massively different derby team. Granted they they've improved since we, you know,
1: rebattered them.
4: For me, I'm done with the championship now. I just, yeah. I,
1: I can't walk away from Wembley having lost again. I'm done with the sort of all the novelties, all the things that we've laughed at. I'm uh, done with I'm the shit referees. Now. I'm done with getting ripped off to go to the away refereeing. games. Fuck. There's, yeah. you know, the time is now.
5: I'm done with celebrating the opening of the upper tier of the Trinity <laughs> for games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done with getting turned
1: over at Brentford every year. <laughs> <laughs>
5: we have 90 minutes. playing the blues? Yeah, I am as well. Yeah. We have 90 minutes where we can solve all our ills and go back to op- obscurity in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you have some assholes saying, "Oh, we'll only get relegated." blah blah blah. We've actually got a team now with momentum. We're going to need some uh let's say a little bit of magic in the transfer window to a secure some of our players that we want to keep. Mm. And B, upgrade in certain places, uh, especially like on the flanks, I would say. But with the owners we've got, we have the expectation of what owners have we got? let's see you know for real what mm. what their ambitions yeah, are yeah. and to be fair i mean edens has turned the, the milwaukee bucks from zeros to heroes i mean they're in the playoffs they're proper a f- they're a force playoffs and that's been a what like a five year turnaround so well, and, a,
4: and a huge transformation in you in infrastructure as well as um, yeah. i mean they've built an unbelievable stadium
5: so maybe he's got the mindest touch in that respect so you have mm-hmm. you know you've got that and you've got that prospect if you look at that Premier League and you know it's not all that. So none of this, I mean, even the best Villa teams like Graham Taylor, when they went up, they took a season to consolidate mm. and fought off relegation uh, important. In, the, in the last few games. And then the next season they they were battling it out for the title. I mean, obviously the, the game's a bit different now, but it just, I think you look at what Wolves have done. Villa are st- still a force in terms of size and name, and the fans will quickly switch back to the mode of knowing who they used to be. Mm. And I think we've got a team now, even you know at this moment, uh, would be competitive against at least half of the uh, the Premier League as it stands. So now is the time. We can't we can't do another season because another season could potentially you'll see the uh, the weeds appearing at villa mm-hmm. park and uh it could one more season could easily be 10 seasons and we'd become a Leeds. and imagine that it's its like being in dante's inferno bickering <laughs> with Leeds fans over social media for another decade groundhog day well, absolute jesus christ nonsense. so the upshot is there is no alternative but to win that game by any means necessary and i think i don't care how we win I'm in happy recent to on times we've, we, to be fair care.
1: we've we've managed to get the job done
5: and villa are demonstrating they have that na- they have that little nastiness they have that willingness to tussle and you know you saw it in the what steer did to their player now i want a bit of that and villa haven't had you know haven't had that kind of uh win by any means necessary we're the ones who fall victim to the cheating players and you know i'd rather have people bagging Grealish out and him winning free kicks and getting results than uh, being a victim of it.
1: It's a case of just get the job done however, however you have to do it now. Get it done. It doesn't necessarily come about performance-wise now. it becomes a. It's purely a one-off results game.
5: Yeah, I mean, but saying that in summation... If we play to our best ability and Derby play to the best of their ability, I think we win that game. Well, we should. No, I'm telling you, we win it. We, it. we They do. can't beat us. If we're both playing at top, we're a better team. But the problem is Villa need to play it there, And, you know, Derby could nullify a threat, show us something we haven't seen before and uh, shock us
1: is it strange to be going into a Wembley sort of a showpiece final for the first time in I would probably say since the Bolton semi-final in 2000 as probably the favourites where we haven't yeah. actually been in this position for a long time mm. you know Fulham we weren't the favourites obviously you know the Arsenal Liverpool that season we weren't the favourites then Man United won, obviously we weren't the favourites then. Chelsea. When we played Chelsea, we we got absolutely battered by them seven nil earlier in the season. Chelsea. When we, we lost were the to favourite, 2000.
5: favourite against Leeds, and that's about it.
1: Yeah, and obviously when we played Bolton in the two thousand, yeah, you know, we were playing against the low division side. But um, um, and that game was a bit like this baggies. It was game, horrible, to be honest. Wasn't it? Yeah, the game at the Hawthorns kind of reminded me of the the, the Middlesbrough games over both legs last, last year that were just non-events as a footballing spectacle. Whereas, mm, yeah, you know, the Leeds game was kind of the absolute opposite.
5: It's there's a little bit of two teams being too scared to lose,
1: which 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 I don't think I don't think that mentality suits this Villa team this year. No. last year's team it was it kind of played into the you know, play it safe you know grind it out type style that, that doesn't work with this team you become you know when you're trying to knock it no. around and you're cautious you end up making silly mistakes and you you play with a lack of conviction which you can't play a high tempo passing game if you lack conviction it just the whole thing falls yeah. apart
5: well we just can't freeze in the final that's the uh, the main message and uh, it's death or glory Uh, Before we go, uh, please do subscribe uh, if you listen on Apple Music or Spotify. uh, Follow us on there so you are updated instantly or any other podcast app please do become a said patron. Also, if you can, we've got some uh, bonus podcasts uh, lined up. There'll probably be more bonus podcasts than real shows uh, over the uh, summer transfer window, to be honest. So please do uh, sign up there. Or alternately, you can become a Facebook supporter. Just see the Facebook page uh, and you'll see the badge to click on there. Right. We better get down to the uh, the yard and start building this uh, Aston Villa canal boat for the uh, the long voyage down the canals to Wembley Way.
1: Well, we better get better get on the water, have not we? It's going to take a long time to get there. So, uh, well, yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, speak for yourselves. I'm I'm going to take the villa underground.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm
5: uh, I've got a speedboat motor that I'm going to put on the end of it. We're just going to carve up those canals. It's
1: going to be a canal boat on steroids. Exactly.
5: Right until the next show. It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: We're going to Wembley, baby! Let's go! My old
2: man said... Vai levar o time para Wembley, para a grande decisão. E pode ser agora. Ele contra o goleiro Johnstone. Para a quinta e última cobrança,
3: Ibrahim.